0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net Elon Musk. Uh, if you do not know who he is, he's basically like a rock star entrepreneur. He created SpaceX, one of those companies. What do they do? Oh, they just make rockets and spacecraft and put things into space, and their main goal is to colonize Mars. Okay. Um, what about Tesla Motors? What, what do they do? Oh, they just make electric cars and self-driving cars, and their, their grand plan is to have cars like just kind of at your beck and call and even make money for you while you're not using them. Oh, that sounds pretty amazing. What about Solar City? Ah, it's just this little thing we have where we help create, like, renewable energy power systems to help, like, fund and, and drive these things. So he's, oh, also this little thing called PayPal. You might have used that once or twice. He's also the co-founder of PayPal. Obviously, uh, this guy is a smart guy. He, we would not see him as inadequate. We would see him as completely adequate for everything that he's been involved in. He puts rockets into space, is involved in electric, self-driving cars on the road, and has changed how we make payments online. And his goal for these companies, he said on more than a few occasions, has been to change humanity and change the world for good. He wants to make life multi-planetary, setting up colonies in other places. He wants to reduce the risk, as he puts it, of human extinction by helping create renewable and more sustainable energy products. This is amazing. This is a guy who puts rockets into space for his job. That sounds pretty awesome. And he is changing the world, but the question is, has humanity really changed through these companies? Do we still have the same fears, even though these companies still exist? Does Tesla or SpaceX really give humanity the answer to its yearnings for hope in a hopeless world? That doesn't make these companies useless. It makes them, I mean, they're amazing, and let's have more of these companies. But does it really give us the things that we want? See, I will never live up to Elon Musk's accomplishments. Few people will. And he's not satisfied with the way the status quo is. He's not satisfied with a simple life. He's looking for more. But even in these incredible things, like chucking rockets into space, even these are actually too small for who we are as human beings, too small for our imagination, too small for what we've been called to do. As humans, we have a capacity for a massive, massive mission, but are often satisfied for just very, by very small things. I mean, I can be satisfied by a good dinner, a good beer, and good company, and two out of three of those, I'll actually be pretty satisfied with. That's pretty small. So we want to see change in many areas of life, but we are inadequate to change these things. Even Elon Musk is inadequate to change these things that we all want to see change, And inside each one of us here is like an inner champagne socialist, one that really wants to be about change, but one that actually really isn't involved in it. We care very little about it and do even less. Now, as Christians, for those who are Christians and call themselves believers, God has promised renewal in our world even now. Even now, Jesus is on his throne telling us, behold, I am making all things new. That's what Jesus tells us. I mean, what are Jesus' ambitions? What's the Jesus version of Tesla or SpaceX? What, what, what could that look like? So, we have a capacity for a massive mission, but we are satisfied by small things. And we need to be saved from those small things, from those small, tiny missions that we all have and obsess about, and saved to God's massive mission. See, God calls us to this massive mission, to this renewing of all things. This thing that Jesus says he's about, behold, I am renewing all things, that's what Jesus calls us to, to be a part of. And this is something amazing, but also something that we as humans are completely inadequate for by ourselves. So only Jesus has this mission, and only Jesus has the power to actually do this mission. And he liberates us from our constrictive, small-minded missions and, and allows us to be a part of this big, massive thing. He saves us to his mission. And so that's what really this story in Luke 10 is about. It's, uh, it's all about God's mission. And there's three words that we're going to focus on as we read, uh, as we go through and explain this um, first story in Luke 10. And that first is joy, privilege, and inadequacy. I think those three things kind of sum up this story and we'll kind of orient the talk around those three things this morning. So joy, privilege, and inadequacy. The first word we have Is joy. That's a very good one to start with. Everyone likes to be joyful. Well, why joy here in Luke 10? Well, one, because we get to be included in this. Before we are people on mission, or before we are people who have a mission, we are people who have been saved by that mission. The mission of God is something we're caught up in first and foremost before we even do anything. And this should give us joy. Because this is the mission that God is a part of. From the beginning of time, The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always been about creating a people for themselves to reflect glory back to each other, to the world, and back to God. That's what they've been about from the very beginning of time. And this is what the Trinity is up to in each one of our lives. And not only is God doing this actively even now in your life and the lives of others, he's doing this, and also we get to be a part of what he's doing. We aren't sidelined bystanders. We get to actually participate This is, uh, I mean, easy to say, but when you think about it, it's kind of massive. The best thing we could ever think about to happen in this world, better than any of those companies we mentioned, better than anything that's actually in your brain, the best possible thing we could think of to happen in this world is something we're a part of. And we're going to always have questions about Um, jobs, families, life decisions, things like that. But in the background, for the Christian, the truth is we're caught up in a story that is way bigger and way larger and what this world needs, no matter what kind of questions and decisions might come our way. What a joyful thing to be a part of. No matter what, wherever we go, we get to be on this mission. And we can easily get caught up in our small missions. In school, it's all about uni. After uni, it's all about a job. And then there's like family or kids or houses and cars. I mean, these things can be great, but they're very small. And woe to us to focus on these small things as the mission. We're made for so much more than that. So we need to be saved from our small-minded missions. They can't handle the imagination that God has actually given us as humans. And that's why Jesus tells the disciples to rejoice in the fact that their names are written in heaven. Look at um, verse 20. He says, However, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you. That sounds pretty amazing. I would like to rejoice in that. But he says, Don't even think about that. This is the, the actual thing that matters. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So this is what happened. After Jesus sent these 72 workers out, they did. They were obedient and they went to these other places and they saw miracles, they saw healings, they saw people probably who knew Jesus and, and who didn't know Jesus before, all these amazing things, even demons are submitting to them and there comes power of the spiritual world that they've never even like, experienced before. That sounds really exciting. And so when they come back to Jesus and they're like, oh Jesus, you sent us out. This is awesome, let me tell you all the things that we did. He's like, yeah, that's really great. Uh, I'm glad you saw that. But I saw Satan fall from heaven. I saw massive cosmic things. Don't rejoice in those little things that you get to be a part of, as great as they are. Rejoice first in this. Your names are written in heaven. You are with me. You are somebody. And what Christ is saying here is that we are human beings before we're human doings. Who we are, our identity precedes what we do. And understanding this fact of who we are precedes what we do is not only essential to the mission, it's essential to Christianity. God has called us to be somebody before he's called us to do anything. And the fact that he's called us to be this kind of somebody, one with our names written in heaven, that gives us joy. And that actually um, leads Jesus to, to over, uh, be overwhelmed in joy. The next verse in verse 21, it says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy and through the Holy Spirit, started praying to God. That gives Jesus joy. It should give us joy. Understanding the fact that who we are precedes what we do is not only essential for the mission, it's essential to Christianity. I mean, a new prime minister has to be sworn in first before she can start ministering primely. Otherwise, it's like a coup if she tries to do that otherwise. You can't vote in a country that you're not a citizen of. You become a citizen first, and then you can vote. And the more you understand your identity as a father or mother to one of your children— if you understand yourself as a father or mother and not as a friend or some kind of distant relative, that allows you to parent better because you understand your identity first. I'm a father, so I will be a father. Identity precedes vocation. Who we are precedes what we do. And this means for us, understanding our own salvation, understanding our own story of redemption is fundamental to the mission. It's fundamental to who we are, but it's also fundamental to the mission. I mean, if you feel like you need to grow in God's mission, often what I find the first question to be asked is, do I really understand God's mission to me first? Do I understand my own salvation first? Do you understand God's pursuit of your own heart, the depths that he went to win you to himself? Does that give you joy? We are overjoyed to be saved from our small missions, and God's mission has come to us. So that's the first word, joy. The second word that we have is privilege, we're privileged to be a part of God's renewal of all things. We're not just saved from our small missions, full stop at the end, and we end some kind of weird neutral zone. No, we're saved to God's mission. Saved from our small mission, saved to God's massive mission. Now, privilege is kind of a word that we don't really like to use. We don't really like to think that we have it, and when we see it, we kind of sneer a little bit. But I think what the thing is with privilege, it's not so much privilege we have a problem with. It's seeing somebody have privilege and then somebody squander it away. Wasted privilege is what kind of causes us to get angry or roll our eyes or do whatever. And the fact is, we as Christians are privileged. If we're in God's kingdom, if our names are written in heaven, then there's an element of privilege that we have. So what the question for us is, if we are privileged, what are we doing with it? Are we squandering it away and acting just like those that we don't like to see? Well, what, what does it look like here in Luke 10? Well, privilege first has to do with the kingdom. Jesus says he's sending 72 workers out. And in the same reality, he sends us out. Because this isn't something written to people back then. This some, is something that's written to us. So Jesus sends us out. The question is, to what end? And here it's about, to, it's about seeing the kingdom coming near to people who were previously far off. If you look at verse 8, he says, When you enter a town and are not welcome eat what's offered to you, Heal those who are ill and tell them this in verse 9, The kingdom of God has come near to you. And then in verse 11, uh, Even the dust of your town we wipe off, uh, wipe from our feet as a warning to you, yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. So there are different responses to this near-coming kingdom. We'll get to that in a second. But what we are privileged to do, to be, as God we're, as God's workers, privileged to be a part of seeing the kingdom advance. And so what does this near-coming kingdom look like? Well, if it's accepted, it looks like peace. Peace is the absence of war. It's the absence of bad things. When this was written during this time, Rome was experiencing what's called the Pax Romana, this time of unprecedented peace where people could walk around essentially being secure that um, there wouldn't be a war or, or some kind of battle breaking out. It means the absence of bad things, but it also means the presence of good things. So no bad, yes good. So no war, but yes to human flourishing wholehearted human flourishing because peace in the Bible is something more than just a wartime or non-wartime kind of thing. It's a wholehearted human flourishing. It means people are closely connected to each other with no disruptions in relationships. And not just people, but between God and people. That There's no disruption in the relationship between God and people. That means the creator, a sovereign Lord over all things, is in complete and utter connection with his people. That's what peace is. And that's what the kingdom looks like. That means there's an abundant, flourishing kind of life. And this is the peace that God's kingdom brings. So if there's peace, there's also healing. And if peace uh, means human flourishing, that means brokenness is on the level of being restored. So in this kingdom of peace, we see healing. And that's what some of the workers are talking about. We saw these amazing things happen. People that were sick aren't sick anymore because of what you've done, Jesus. Jesus. And these physical signs were meant to point to a much bigger and larger one. These physical uh, sicknesses are meant to point to a much larger sickness that we have as humanity. These physical signs are meant to point to the bigger healing that we have. The deepest parts of us that are so beyond fixing, more than mere physical problems. The deep cracks that we have in our souls. God is in the process of fixing that and restoring that. And that's where God directs his healing power in this kingdom, in his kingdom. So that's if it's accepted. If this kingdom is rejected, first we see a warning. If God's kingdom is rejected, first God warns people. He, Jesus instructs the disciples to warn them so that they will change. That's where they dusting the feet off of the town thing. It's like the ultimate kind of snub. I'm, I can't even take this dust with me. That's how, like, that's how scared I am for this town when judgment might come. But the, in warning, though, there's a grace, though, isn't it? It's not just direct action right after that. A warning is meant to deter someone from a path. And that's what's going on here. A warning is an element of God's grace telling us, don't stay the path, change your ways, and and join and and enter and be a citizen in this kingdom. And what we also see too, that this kingdom is not just uh, some kind of blasé, casual level kind of thing. This kingdom is nothing less than the revelation of God himself bringing himself to bear on this world. This should cause us to, to walk in awe. And in wonder, and in some levels of, of healthy fear, it's not one option among many that we can choose a little bit of and not choose the parts we don't like. It's it's a, it's a big, full orb thing that we have to reckon with. And if warnings are not ultimately heeded, then there is judgment, and that means this is not an empty warning. This is a real warning. Jesus says, "You will go down to Hades." I don't want to go to Hades. Only death awaits those who don't heed the warnings of God. And this is the opposite of peace. So, the kingdom is accepted, we have peace, we have healing. The kingdom is rejected. First we have a warning because of the judgment that that will come. So that's the kind of privilege that we as Christians are a part of. We're part of this kingdom in all of its ways. Another aspect to our privilege is power. Jesus has this very powerful verse about power in verse 16 he says whoever listens to you talking to the workers and that means to you here whoever listens to you listens to me listens to jesus whoever rejects you rejects us rejects jesus but whoever rejects jesus rejects him who sent me rejects the father so there is an element of power in our privilege but it's not our power it's a derivative power that comes from the father from the son to us that we can be a part of this Jesus has invested his people with some serious actual power though because whoever listens to us listens to him as Christians our power doesn't come from us it's not about us it's about the one who sends us and Jesus says here that anyone who rejects us rejects him so what do we have to fear it's in this power and authority that we are sent and this is true as soon as we join God's family. Resting on our own power actually doesn't give us very much. It gives us very small missions. Resting on God's power is a little bit scary because it could be all sorts of things. And there's no lead up to this. There's no program or this. Once you are in his kingdom, this is the kind of power you're invested in. Hopefully we can grow in it, but it's also what we have right from the beginning. To be saved by God's mission is to be on his mission. That means to follow Christ means to actually follow Christ, to actually do the things that he does. And the Bible um, uses a metaphor of an ambassador in lots of places, and I think that's actually really fitting here, really fitting for what we see going on in Luke 10. Because an ambassador, if we think about how that works in our context first, is sent from one country to another country to represent her home country's values and beliefs, but not where she's a citizen, where she's residing. But she must do so in the terms and ways and customs that this new country understands. She must speak the language in a way that's easily understood, She must participate in the customs of her new country and participate in them where she can. She must listen for where the connections between the two countries are working and are connecting. And when those disconnects are there, explain why her home country does things this way as compared to her new country. She doesn't complain when the new country's values are different from her own home because she knows they will be different. It's a different country. She understands the value of humility as she navigates the ways and the paths of this new place. And there's a high level of curiosity and analysis and, and even imagination for what it looks like to live in this new place. But she's there to promote her home country's values, not her new country's values. She is sent there to contextualize her home country's stuff to this new place, to this new world, bringing them to bear so that it might change. And that's a privilege that she has by being an ambassador. It's a privilege to be an, appointed as an ambassador, citizen of one country and resident of another. And so that means to be a follower of Jesus is to follow him on his mission, to be his ambassador in a very similar way. Being anything else than this is being disobedient. This is our privilege. I mean, just look for a second at verse 24. It says, For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. That means the majority of your Bible, from like the Old Testament here, this, all of this stuff here, all of these people long to see the, the reality that we get to live in today. They longed for that. They were writing about that. They were seeking God for it. They poured out their tears and, and their time and their effort and energy for it. And when we get it, how dare us <laughs> to be bored by it? This is something that God's kingdom has been advancing towards and we get to be a part of the now present kingdom. We can't be bored by this. If we are, we just don't understand it. We're called for something more. But uh, with all this excitement and all this fervor, I I just think, um, I think we need to stop for a second because when I talk about joy, um, you know, okay, as Christians, yeah, we get it. We should be joyful. Yes, joyful. Let's be joyful. Yeah, let's think about this and work it up. Um, But what about when I don't want to be joyful? What does that look like? Or... Uh, talking about our privilege. Yeah, I get that. Okay, yeah, it should be um, a privilege to be on this mission, privilege to be his ambassadors. But what about when I just don't feel like it, or I don't get it, or I just don't know how to do it, or I just don't feel like I actually have that power? Because even just, I mean, we have two points of a three-point sermon, and I'm already tired. I already feel the hopelessness and a little bit of the inadequacy. And that's why we need to talk about our limitations as humans. Because if we just stop there, we become human doings. We're not human beings. We say, oh yeah, I need to be joyful, I need to be privileged, and that's just not Christianity, that's not how it works. But Christianity does, it tells us how broken we are, and how God takes our brokenness and actually works through our brokenness. So that's why I think inadequacy is a massive part of what it means to understand Luke 10, to understand who we are as Christians, to understand what it means to be on his mission. So let's talk about being inadequate, and just say, we are inadequate, That's actually a really freeing and glorious thing to be able to say. In a world obsessed with posturing and proving how amazing and awesome things are 100% of the time, no, 110% of the time, we're confronted with the liberating truth that we, by ourselves, we just can't do it. We can't, we're just not able to do it. Before we get to why this is actually such an amazingly freeing thing, Let's get to the particular areas in Luke where we find that we are inadequate. The first is related to people. He doesn't send these people out individually, he sends them out two by two. Verse one After this, Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of them. He knew they couldn't do it alone. We're not meant to do it alone. Mission is meant to be done in community. Jesus wants his mission to be carried out in community. God sends his church on mission out together. This is not some lone hero story of somebody doing some amazing thing and coming back and everybody putting him on a pedestal. It's just not how it works. Those stories are at best made up. Now this doesn't mean that uh, when we are on mission, we're, we're not going to have one-on-one conversations with people. But it means when we have those one-on-one interactions, we bring them back to community so people can pray for it. People can pray for you. Maybe bring them back for you to meet some other people. So it's not just you. If we aren't involving the community on mission, we have to ask, are we actually doing mission the way God has told us to? The way Jesus is telling us to? So there's people. There's protection in verse 3, we need protection from wolves. It says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Now, not every animal needs to fear a wolf. A bear could probably take care of a wolf, but we're not bears, we're lambs. Lambs are, are kind of defenseless. I think they probably even like fall over and they can't get up at times. I don't even know what's going on with lambs. They're just, they're not known for their offensive powers or defensive powers, really. They're pretty much easy prey and full of meat. So a lamb is easy prey. And so this is why we need protection. We're inadequate when it comes to protecting ourselves. This actually makes me think, not in just in our context, but in other contexts, that um, in other parts of the world where it's really hard to actually live out your Christianity, there's a project that we support as a church that trains evangelists to go into areas that are more like Taliban stronghold kind of villages. Now we don't know the names of any of these people. We don't even see any pictures of them because the security is so high. And recently someone... Oh, some, one of those people had to flee the country and go to another country because someone found out they were a Christian, they were talking about Christianity, and they wanted to kill them. So they had to leave their home country. That's not an experience that many of us have been involved with because that is a real danger. And how small our wolves here in the West appear when put against something that's actually a real wolf but whether it's actual real large biting wolf or some ankle-biting cub, we're called to go despite the danger. And that means we need protection. And so what does Jesus say about this? Well, look in verse 19. He says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Nothing will harm you. Jesus has all the authority. He knows and he has the power. And he says, nothing will harm you. So we need protection. We also need provision. We need resources. Do you, you notice how woefully under-resourced these missionaries are? They, uh, See, in verse 4, they don't have a purse. They don't have a bag. They don't have sandals. Like, they don't have money. They can't even greet, greet people on the road to say, hey, can you spare some change or can you spare some food? No, he tells them to Go. He, doesn't, he says, don't even stop and have a chat along the way because this mission is urgent. Sometimes we think the engine of mission is money or resources, whether that be any kind of resources, but it's not. The engine of mission is God's sending power. So we're, we're lame and inadequate when it comes to money. We're also lame and inadequate when it comes to food. Verses 7 and 8 says, uh, just talking about these houses that welcome them, stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, um, even if it's blood sausage. Uh, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, even if it's a little bit strange, even if it's tea. No, I love tea. And this is, this, this is the simplest of things that humans need. We need food. Without food, we die. And God sent these people out with it, without food. If, they, if, without, if without it, they would have died. Do we depend on God for these things? Or are we just kind of happy to pretend like we're independent? Like just because you work some hours and get a paycheck with your name on it doesn't mean God wasn't involved in it. You're still as dependent. And he's gracious to provide it. So there's, uh, there's we're, we're lame with money, with food. We're also uh, not very knowledgeable. So To me, these 72, it's like, they are the rock stars, man. They are going into these villages and doing these things. It must have been amazing. But how does God talk about them? In verse 21, Jesus says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the rock stars? No. The really smart ones? No. The really wise ones? No. To little children. I'm so glad that you revealed this to little children. These aren't clever people. They aren't wise, especially with respect to God. They're little children. They're dependent. That's what a child is. That's what makes God so happy in his mission. And so these are some areas of our inadequacy. And I said this is glorious. Uh, Maybe you're feeling a bit uh, dejected. Like, oh man, it's right. I actually can't really do anything. I'm like a baby. But why is this glorious? Well, the glory of our inadequacy is us. Or I'm sorry, the glory of our adequacy is us. We get the glory if we think we're adequate, if we think we can do it. If we think we can do it and we thought we did it ourselves, we get the glory for it. That's great. We're awesome. But the glory of our inadequacy is Christ glorified. Christ gets the glory when we realize we can't, when we realize we're dependent, when we realize we're actually little children, because he's the one who's doing it and all the glory belongs to him. That means we don't have it all together and we don't need to have it all together We will never actually have it all together. For the burnt-out mom running to this thing, to that thing, taking care of children, trying to maybe even keep the house tidy, maybe even have a job on top of all those things, you're flicking through Instagram later in the evening, and now you see people laughing in a way that you can only remember. How do you respond? The glory of our adequacy is us. The glory of our inadequacy is Christ, glorified. With the family now on the verge of needing to care for aging parents, all those details and, and the, the kind of overwhelmingness that that can come, the task and the money, how do you respond in that situation? you try and steel up and become adequate? The glory of our adequacy is us. The glory of our inadequacy is Christ, Glorified with that coworker that you know god is calling you to talk to or befriend or have a hard conversation with with that neighbor that's becoming a friend you're not quite sure how to talk about jesus in that moment when presented with a city like manchester where you're lucky to find two christians in a group of 100 what do we do the darkness the utter darkness that people are more than happy to live in and are doing just fine how do we respond where do we start how do we go I remember uh, one specific time when I just moved to Manchester and was walking around the city center kind of randomly, not really knowing where I was going. It was just me here at the time. And people were busy doing their thing as they do in cities. And I remember thinking to myself very clearly, this city is fine without me. None do these people care that I'm even here? Like, what, what could I even imagine to be a part of to change people's lives in this place? What, what could I do? Nobody here could care about my existence and why I moved here. What could this poor little immigrant possibly do? And the truth is, I can do nothing. I am inadequate. The glory of our adequacy is us, but the glory of our inadequacy is Christ. If I think I can do it in my power, that glory is mine. And if I understand my own inadequacy, though, that glory goes to Jesus. You see, if you reject your inadequacy... You can try and live without dependence. You will live a very small-minded life, a very small life. And you will still probably be overwhelmed by it. But if we submit to our own dependency and realize we actually can't do it, we are inadequate, we end up dependent on one whose vision is larger than we can imagine, who has power beyond what we can even imagine... If we don't depend on others, our gospel will be very one-sided and malformed. If we don't depend on God's protection, we will always be seeking the path of self-preservation. If we don't depend on God for provision, there will always be excuses for not doing something. And life may not always be pleasant. We are actually guaranteed to suffer. But Jesus always has us in the palm of his hands and he says to us, you will not be harmed. Whether martyrdom, actual, or merely social martyrdom. Jesus has promised us, you will not be harmed. This mission is no joke. It's a serious business. This is more than life and death. This is heaven and hell. This is something that we as Christians are now a part of. It's His mission. He has a power. He has a calling. He has the protection and provision. Why would we ever consider to be dependent on ourselves? It's ridiculous when put into the, the terms of Luke 10. Or maybe you're thinking, well, I'll be part of that ministry or gifted this thing or volunteer for this thing when X. What is that X? That X promotion, when you get 10% more money, when you uh, get 10% more free time, when you're getting more training. Or are you just saying, I, I, I'm on the mission yet, yeah, but I, I just want to greet that person on the road as I go. Do you know why Jesus tells him to not greet people on the road? Because his mission is urgent. He says, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. What's the limit there? The limit to the mission is is us actually being dependent on Christ. The harvest needs harvesters, otherwise the fruit rots. So right now, think of one person, if you are a believer, think of one person you know who doesn't know Jesus. And if you're sitting here and you aren't a believer, um, we're glad that you're here, but maybe do this little thought experiment with me. Right now, without Jesus, what is hope? What is hope? What does that look like? Without Jesus, where is joy rooted in? Without Jesus, what are people working for in life? All those things can be taken away. That's despair. That's futility. But... These are the stories that God transforms. These are the ones that he takes from brokenness to wholeheartedness, from emptiness, from fullness. People who were once in the dark, now in the light. People who were once imprisoned, now set free, once alone, now brought into God's family. Once hopeless, without joy, going through the motions, living our small, little, small-minded missions, now getting to live in the hope of God's massive mission. This is the kind of thing that our God does, the kind of thing that our Lord Jesus does. So we are citizens of this kingdom that is drawing near and now is here. Jesus is in control of his kingdom, and we get to see it advance. Because this is true from the spectrum of talking to our neighbor to planting churches in other countries, we can rest in the one who sent us. We depend on Jesus. One of the earliest evidences of Christianity in Britain was actually found here in Manchester, right off Dean's Gate. It's called the Paternoster Stone. It's at least dated to the 2nd century um, AD, during the Roman era. And these letters are arranged, This is just a section of it. The letters are arranged as an anagram spelling out our father. A lot of historians now believe that it, it was actually like a marker for Christian worship space, right here and uh, right off Dean's Gate. And actually, you can see this at the Manchester Museum. It's free entry. Even. You just go in and look at it. It's amazing. Now, especially for an American, where anything that's older than the 1800s is like really old. This is second century. This is really old probably to all of us. But as long ago as this might be, it doesn't hold a match to God's mission in the world. Because more than a measly few millennia, before time even really became a thing, God was at work creating a people for himself to reflect his glory This is the mission of the Trinity. The Father sent the Son, the Son, and the Father sent the Spirit, and the Spirit now sends the church. There's a far larger mission that we could conceive of ourselves, one that calls us from our small mindedness to the joy, privilege, and glorious and freeing inadequacy that comes with the mission of God. The harvest is plentiful. Are we living out as one of the workers? Do we see the joy of being included in this? Do we feel the privilege of participating in this? When confronted with your own inadequacy, how do you deal with it? Do you see that as an opportunity for God to work in ways that you could never even think of? And this is what it means to be part of something that will actually change the world, to be part of something that is now changing the world. What a glorious thing to be a part of. What an exciting thing to be a part of. Let's pray to this God who sends us. Jesus, as we um, wrap our minds just a little bit around the callings that you've given each one of us, Lord, we feel our inadequacy and we don't explain it away. We don't try and not think about it. But Lord, we offer that to you. It's another place where you can work. Lord, I pray that we will repent of our own independence, of our own need to uh, obsessively be in control of our destinies and see ourselves as merely independent or merely dependent little children, but dependent little children on a great and powerful God. So Lord, as you send us out, we pray that you will um, give us this peace that you're talking about, that we may be able, not just for ourselves, but we may be able to speak it to others. Give us this healing that you're talking about, not just for ourselves, but we may be able to speak it to others. And Lord, please have our, our missions and minds change as we contemplate the glorious involvement and participation we have in your plan from the beginning of of time to its end to see you glorified as the Redeemer. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with Church Life, visit www racechurchmanchester.net